0: to another edition of the Beer Vana Podcast. Hi, Jeff.
1: Hey, Patrick. How's it going? It's all right. I bet the world thought we'd given up the ghost on this podcast.
0: Yeah, I th- I, we share a little blame, but I think I'm more to blame for our long absence. Uh, I had some chickens come home to roost in the form of some uh, uh, dental work that I had to get done due to an accident that happened when I was 12 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I had a wonderful bridge, a solution to that accident that lasted for much longer than they had promised at the time, but it finally um, failed. And that led to a very depressing, cascading series of misadventures and failures in my mouth that have led to uh, to some pretty gruesome outcomes. Um, so if I sound a little funny, it's because I have this little weird dental appliance in my, in my mouth.
1: So, uh, but I'm glad to be back. Excellent. Okay, everybody, I'm going to move the mic. Um, I apologize if there's some scraping here. Oh, it wasn't too bad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, let's talk about the weather. The weather is fabulous today.
1: It is. It is gray and overcast (laughs) and cool. The summer of our hot smoke inferno has seemingly ended, which is such a relief to me. Last summer, last summer
0: was hot and a little smoky, and I thought, okay, so this is going to be, You know, I know global warming is happening, but still this is an outlier. And then that means that next year is going to be a little bit better and so much worse. This so
1: <laughs> much worse. Started in May and just roasted us all along. It's just not fair. Global warming is happening far too fast. <laughs> We're like salamanders. We can't handle that. We need, we need cool
0: yeah, and liquid. It really has dramatically affected our, our summers. Um, there's lots of great visualizations. But uh, there was one I saw that, that was basically the high temperatures across all the summer, three summer months from like 1918. And it's just a rolling sort of video of these little uh, data points and they were color coded. So so the hot ones in the 80s were in the orange and 90s were in red. And by the time you reached 2018, it was just all blazing orange (laughs) and red.
1: I would like to see that. I miss that. (laughs) I'll find it. I'll find it for you. Uh, So yeah. Tweet that out on your... uh Oh, well, tweet that out on the, the the channel I will soon announce you as tweeting on. Yeah, that's right. We haven't even announced ourselves
0: or, <laughs> or introduced ourselves. For those who don't already know, with me, of course, is Jeff Allworth. He is the author of The Secrets of Master Brewers, The Beer Bible, and out
1: next spring, The Widmer Way. And with me is... Uh... Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at Oregon State University, and you can find him tweeting out this fine visualization of uh, Portland's summer heat uh, at Bironomics. Yeah, and for some reason I failed to mention that you, of course, blog at Birona and tweet at Virvana Correct. Uh, Everyone who's still listening to this podcast knows that probably. So <laughs> um,
0: yeah, so uh, it's been nice to have some cool weather. Um, I've been now twice caught out on uh, Uh, off guard however because last night I was taking my kid to his soccer practice and I was freezing my butt off out there because I was in my typical very light summer clothing and suddenly it's getting cool and uh, in fact coming over here this morning I made the same mistake
1: yeah I noticed you're in your shorts and it's kind of a bit chilly today got my shorts got my sandals I'm still I'm still (laughs) rocking the summer oh you don't just have your sandals my friend I have my Birkenstocks you have your Oregon
0: Birkenstocks I know well for 30 years I was out of fashion (laughs) and now Fashion, oh, fashion
1: has come back around. Oh, you somehow think Birkenstocks are fashionable now? You got to look at the kids' feet, man. I do not judge. I, I do not. Judge <laughs> Although fashion we're in Portland, Oregon, feet. so that's, we can't right. really, that's it's the... all skewed here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, uh, so today's podcast uh, is kind of exciting for me, particularly because I haven't even really talked to you about your trip. But a few weeks back, uh, you, Jeff, traveled to Central New York to see uh, Belgium comes to Cooperstown at Brewery. Omegang is—is is that the correct? Everybody
1: there kind of said omegang. I've omegang. always thought it was omegong, but the people at omegang said omegang. So
0: omegang, okay. Uh, he was able to interview uh, brewmaster uh, Phil Leinert. Yes. Lineheart, um, I think. at you. Line I don't heart. know. I These are the kinds of things that pros ask each other before they start the podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, we'll play... Unfortunately, <laughs> no one expects us to <laughs> uh, provide those niceties. Uh, uh, we'll play that interview uh, later in the pod. Um, but we'll also use uh, the gang as a case study in interesting brewery models. It is making some exceptional beer, but has a number of unusual features that make it decidedly out of step with the current trends in craft brewing. Uh, so we'll get to... Uh, get to all that soon, Uh, when I was in graduate school in uh, upstate New York, central New York, depending on
1: how pedantic you want to get. uh, I did inquire about that, whether they considered themselves in upstate or central. Uh, And what was the answer? The answer was uh, central, but um, they considered themselves central, but from New York City's perspective, they would be considered upstate because basically everything like north of the Bronx is, uh, I guess upstate to new yorkers
0: yeah essentially (laughs) (laughs) so yeah what i learned in my time there was that basically follow the hudson river north and that's true upstate up into um uh the catskills and adirondacks and and uh lake placid for example just you if you travel north from new york city that's upstate and then if you travel have to start traveling west you start getting into central new york and then of course western new york where buffalo is so
1: yeah so you would say this you would agree that central new york uh
0: yeah if you're being really uh pedantic then it's central new york but i always used to say not upstate new york and i still say that to people it does seem like everyone
1: everyone agreed it was a kind of a little bit of a nebulous you know there's always seams in between locations and you yeah. know, is, is Southern Indiana the South or the Midwest? Anyway. Yeah. So if you're, if you're fascinated
0: by that, <laughs> you can listen to
1: our other podcasts, Adventures in
0: Geographic Nomenclature. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but anyway, the point was that I've been to Cooperstown because during my time there, I went and visited the baseball hall of fame uh, with my in-laws who are big baseball fans. Go Red Sox. Uh, um, and so I know Cooperstown as a, as a lovely uh, spot. Um, but at the, Time this would have been late 90s. I'm not sure if Oma Gang, Oma Gang
1: existed or not. They did in 1997, but um, it was early enough that you probably had to know about them to know about them. Yeah, uh, this probably would have been something like '98 around there. Yeah,
0: okay. Uh, so uh, we'll get to uh, Jeff's interview with uh, Phil Maynard at Omegang soon, but first, of course, we have to talk about the news. <laughs>
1: So three weeks ago, Boston Beers Jim Cook made news when he had dinner with uh, our president Donald Trump. Uh, uh-huh. Trump, yeah, at Trump National <laughs> Golf Club in Bedminster, New Jersey. It was an official meeting, and the two had a cozy back and forth where uh, Cook extolled t- Trump's tax cuts for brewers. Um, if you remember, there was a a big tax cut for breweries. It was. Passed as a part of that big the tax cut bill mm-hmm. earlier in the year, uh, this created a stir in Massachusetts. However, and Somerville Mayor Joseph and I'm sorry, Joseph, I get this wrong, Curtatone, Curtatone, yeah, sure, let's Curtatone. Go, let's go with that. Uh, <laughs> said he would boycott Sam Adams beer, and um, uh, the brewery took a fair amount of heat in Massachusetts for mm. being uh, close to the president. I, I have to say, I as a pretty big critic of. Boston beer. I found that I found that all uh, misplaced. I think every, you know, every business needs to be in uh, harmony with with uh, government because it really affects their business. And I forgive anybody for cozying up to leaders and trying to get what's good for their business. I don't it, consider that a political act. I consider that just working for your business. Yeah, an extent
0: the the extent to which a tax cut is good for uh, beer producers everywhere, then uh stroking trump's trump's ego about it's probably yeah for everybody yeah i thought it was uh, (laughs) i I didn't
1: i didn't see it was a a big deal but it but it does go to show that politics has become so toxic that just you know speaking kindly to the president and thanking him for doing your industry a a solid has now become a massive political well that's yeah that's the
0: thing and this is kind of a more general comment which probably is not appropriate for a beer podcast but just uh everyone ha- you have to be on a side right yeah. it has to, it's all always black or white or good or bad right or wrong and there's no uh there's no middle anymore which is just a really depressing uh statement about american life in the age of social media and it's not politics. the first time this has happened which means it will probably end at some point so yeah this too shall pass it will pass <laughs> all right the next bit of news uh uh, it is a bit of news relevant to our topic today. Uh, Canarchy, the collective of breweries, uh, will release a 12 pack with beers from member breweries Cigar City, Squatters, Oscar Blues, and Perrin. They're boasting that it's the first time a mix pack features different breweries. And whether that's true or not, it is an unusual approach. I'm trying to think if I can think of a counterexample, but.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think back, like, um, you know, as did. did craft beer alliance ever do something like that yeah that Mm -hmm.
0: was my first thought it's like has there been an ever been a mixed kona widmer red hook (laughs) pack but i don't actually
1: yeah and then there's that there's that north american breweries which has pyramid portland and magic eight ball or whatever that brewery in vermont is called i don't know so but but anyway (laughs) it's it's relevant to our topic today because uh as breweries begin to conglomerate either under uh you know a large national brewer or among themselves they have to make this decision about whether they want to present themselves as uh, unif- you know part of a group or yeah. independent and and so canarchy has has is definitely going in one direction
0: so canarchy uh, how how widely distributed are they uh,
1: they're all pretty big yeah I don't know yeah because pre- got, got to be pretty big because it's from Florida to Colorado and Utah so I don't yeah know. yeah then
0: that's that's always I suppose a, <clears throat> a challenge is that you're trying to keep yourself Relevant and fresh to a local market, but at the same time expand your reach. Mm-hmm. So, and as we've seen in a number of cases, I think that can be a, a tricky feat to
1: pull off. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that when we talk about Omega. Yeah, lots of good foreshadowing. <laughs> Finally, Tallgrass, uh, Kansas's largest brewery, has suspended operations and laid off approximately 20 employees. Uh, if the brewery can't find funding very soon, it may have to close entirely the company recently took on debt to expand into a new production facility but has faced declining sales in the past year and so they're in that boat that we have seen where um uh if you're over leveraged and you're depending on a certain level of sales growth you, growth generally yeah, right yeah if you have and you depend on growth and and you don't make, make those marks then you can be in trouble fast and uh this was greeted I, i'm I am aware of Tallgrass. I've had a few of their beers, but not not super aware. And it was I was interesting to watch it on social media. A lot of people were very disappointed in, in this news because they love Tallgrass and it's, you know Kansas is a Big Dog. So that would be you can imagine your state's largest brewery. Yeah, Just I wonder how many. Away.
0: Yeah, and and it makes me wonder how quickly there's uh, new breweries are opening in Kansas uh, or in neighboring states that that have pecked away the market. So this is the thing about uh, depending on growth to uh, to sustain your business model is that there's so much entry these days uh, that it's that it's hard to depend on on, on rapid growth for sure. Yeah, and they were in, growth.
1: <laughs> they were in that, that a really bad position in that they were distributed to 18 states, so mm-hmm. I think a lot of their production depended on uh, being in, in other markets, which where where they weren't local. Uh, and they're packaging breweries so they don't have a lot of volume that's being sold on site, which is a much bigger profit generator right so their margins were tighter and uh all of those things probably led to being in a precarious situation yeah
0: when you're spread throughout so many markets where you don't have a lot of local traction then then it's easy pickings probably for for local brewers to start pushing you off
1: shelves and things
0: yeah uh but it's always sad to hear about troubles that breweries are facing totally um so so.
1: we hope we wish Tallgrass the best yep
0: absolutely all right, so let's turn now to uh, Oma gang uh, We're going to listen to this uh, short-ish interview um, you did with Phil Leinhardt in a moment. Um, but why don't we set this up by talking about Oma Gang? I actually am one of those people don't know too much, so um, you can enlighten me uh, about uh, what it is and, and what makes it tick um, for this sort of fairly unusual American brewery.
1: Yeah, I'll give a brief interview. Uh, introduction. Then we can listen to the interview, and then I'll we'll talk a little bit more about some of those unusual features. Sounds good. But just to set up the uh, interview, um, Omega Gang was founded in 1997 by uh, the importers Don Feinberg and Wendy Littlefield, who at the time uh, had their importer was called Van Berger & DeWolf. They mm-hmm. retired, and the, brewer, and the importer has a new name now. Okay, um, But they were really focused on Belgium. Um, they were the ones who brought Cezanne DuPont into America. and uh, uh-huh. That was the kind of the big thing, and they sort of fell in love with the whole Belgian thing and wanted to open their own Belgian brewery. And okay. so they built Omegang, uh, and one of the main financiers was Duvel, mm-hmm. uh, which is relevant because um, Duvel... Now owns again completely. Um, Don Wendy sold to Duval and now Duval owns uh, kind of a collection of right. Belgian and American breweries, which we can talk a little bit about which ones those are and, and stuff later. But okay. um, uh, it's an interesting brewery because, <clears throat> excuse me, you've been to uh, Cooperstown. Yeah. Cooperstown is about as remote as any place I can yep. imagine on the East Coast. <laughs> I mean, is. it is really far. When I when they said, okay, they flew me out there and it was great. They put me up and it was great. And I said, okay, what? what uh, uh, You know, I typed in Cooperstown. There's no airport in Cooperstown. So I'm like, what? Where do you fly into? And they said, well, I can fly into Syracuse or Albany or uh, even New York City. And I was checking them out. and You know, Syracuse is an hour and 45 minutes away. Yeah. Albany is <laughs> over an hour away. Uh, so it's really in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs>
0: they didn't uh, have you fly into the Tompkins County Ithaca Airport, huh? Uh,
1: uh, I might have, yeah. <laughs> wouldn't I have, wouldn't have gotten
0: you much closer, actually.
1: That's the thing. It it seems is, like it's like there's... And it's tiny. Yeah, it's tiny. It's a, it, it really reminded me of a little New England town. Mm-hmm. The downtown is very well preserved. It's, yep. it's a beautiful uh, old, uh, probably not colonial era, but um, pretty old.
0: I attribute a lot of that preservation to the the Baseball Hall of Fame, which is what keeps a steady influx of visitors.
1: Yeah. Finding this tiny town in the middle of nowhere yeah. for that one reason. And then the other amazing thing about this brewery is, so I think one of the reasons uh, Don and Wendy might have chosen this place is because it does look a little bit like Belgium. It feels like Belgium. Many of the Belgian breweries in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. They're rural, they're, and you go down these little country roads, sometimes one-lane roads, and through rolling countryside. Uh, it kind of feels like that. Um, and they built this brewery that looks like it was, it's like a 300 year old building in Belgium. It was right. just an amazingly cool building. Huh. So it's a, it's this amazing showpiece. It feels very Belgiany and it's nowhere near anything. So that's uh kind of the setup. And then of course, um, their focus for the first, uh, they've been open 21 years. So the first 15 years, I think it was almost exclusively Belgian and they've only kind of in recent years dabbled, but, huh. but lightly in other areas. And did you ever get an answer to the, the question
0: of why why Cooperstown? No. Um, I think I would have to ask Don and, and Wendy yeah. that. Uh, but they don't, to your knowledge, they don't have any personal connection to
1: Cooperstown. I don't think so. Um, yeah. yeah, I know they have some connection to Chicago. I met Wendy in Chicago once, hmm. uh, and I know they spend a lot of time in Belgium, of course, still. Really? So um, Okay. Yeah, cool. I don't know. Maybe they're baseball fans. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> there is definitely a story behind that, but that's not a story we're gonna unveil veil today. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> stick to this stick to the script. Now it's good. you have the, the the keen, inquisitive mind of a scholar. But I got no data for you.
0: So they do they do still mostly Be- Belgian ales.
1: Yes. However, and this is we're gonna we're getting into this there, uh they have they have begun to feel the influence of American hops, and it has begun to, begin to uh, uh-huh. impinge on their their, uh, their little Belgian bubble. Uh-huh. And um, I, I asked uh, uh, Phil about that. So I don't uh-huh. want to step on that. We can definitely talk about that on the other side. When I was there, I, that, I don't think I'll step on it too much to say that. When I was there... Um, They were they had cans of their hazy IPA neon rainbows. Whoa! Yeah. Wow. (laughs) So um, they don't have a ton of that kind of beer, but um, that was a at the festival that was a popular beer. People Uh, were really looking for the old neon rainbows. Great name too. I I bet. Uh, And you note here that they don't do wild ales. That's right. So they've done Belgian ales, but they don't do wild ales. So later we're going to try this beer called Rosetta, Mm -hmm. which has. uh, mixed fermentation beer in it, but it comes from Leafman's. Ah, so um, they have this new program too, where they are bringing in wild ale from their sister breweries and blending it on site. Mm-hmm. But Phil does not want to have wild yeast and bacteria in the building, and so he has resisted that. So it's a funny. There are many ways in which uh, uh, Omagong is unusual or paradoxical, and one is that they have this focus on Belgian beer. Um, which is kind of a niche in America. But mm-hmm. to the extent that that niche has is, is got, um, you know, kind of commercial exploit, been exploited commercially, it's usually in the wild realm, but right. they, they don't do that. Yeah, so <laughs> that is on. <odd. laughs> yeah. Uh, so
0: now they're part of Duv- uh, Duval's collective. Yes. Uh, including, uh, you have here La Chouffe, uh-huh. Leafman's and you're going to have to do this, Deconique. Deconique, The conic yeah uh omegang firestone walker now and boulevard as well yeah uh as well as a czech and dutch brewery
1: yeah um the czech brewery is bernard and the dutch one i couldn't even pronounce and i've never heard of it <laughs> Something <I don't> <laughs> yeah there's a lot of that it has three three it, ha- it has three um consonants in the first va- in the first I guess, word, but there's also an apostrophe in there. I have no <laughs> idea what that's all about. <laughs> so I left that off.
0: Is there a rhyme and reason to this collective? Uh, uh, you've got sort of an interesting mix. Um, you know, the, the first ones are all Belgium and then Gang, but then you have Firestone Walker and Boulevard.
1: Yeah, I think, so Boulevard was the second brewery acquired, uh, American brewery acquired by uh, Duvel, And it, you know, it makes a lot of sense that, uh, Omegang was the first that already been ba- bankrolling it. And so when Don and, and, uh, Wendy wanted to get out, it made sense that they would go with Omegang. Um, Boulevard, uh, has, I think, I, I don't know this for certain, but Boulevard's brewery is Stephen Powell's and he is a Belgian. And so I think there may have been some connection, okay. uh historic connection there, and also some, some comfort and familiarity in terms of, Uh, the way he operated his brewery. Mm -hmm. Um, Hedwig Nevin is the brewer at Duval, and he's kind of a legendary figure in brewing, uh, especially Belgian brewing. He is um, very focused on quality and um, consistency, and he's like a, you know, people speak in reverent tones about Hedwig's, uh, uh, you know, vigorous approach to to brewing. And so... he chose breweries. It's not surprising that Duval chose breweries that are 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 fam- kind of famous for their their attention to quality and de- you know details. And detail, and, yeah, yeah. And so um, then they went to Firestone Walker, which really doesn't have anything to do with Belgium at all. Right. And was a surprise to a bunch of people, including me. But I think made sense mm-hmm. if you look at it in terms of. From that dimension, because Matt Brindelson is is this brewer who also is kind of famous for that, and probably one of the most famous in America for having the same kind of that same kind of approach to beer. Right. So I bet that there was a real meeting of the mind between those breweries. So I'm guessing um, that's why they, those breweries were chosen. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, you also have a, a
0: note here that makes a lot of sense, which is that uh, not just is Cooperstown uh, remote and small, but it also means that there isn't this sort of natural local connection that people elsewhere have to it um you know syracuse they've got fx Matt still they probably
1: yeah it's a big it was a big theme they used to count on selling a lot of beer in new york state and when i was there they said yeah we've (laughs) you know it used to be we were on in a you know they still do well in new york city which Mm -hmm. doesn't surprise me because their their brand is elegance and um, kind of sophistication and and quality and food friendliness so all that stuff is very new york city right um but they had been you know big sellers in syracuse and albany <laughs> and they said it's weird like now we're, we're down to like utica is the only place that really <laughs> considers us a local anymore the, the, the what, what's considered local is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking as you know syracuse mm-hmm. and albany get their own local breweries and and um yeah, I mean, it takes us back to that tall
0: grass example, which is that so many breweries are opening up that are representing your local market yeah. that it's very hard to be an out of town brewer.
1: Yeah, um, and yeah. sell it, in those it, markets. It is. It is. A, it's. It's a challenge that they couldn't have predicted. Uh, you know, in nineteen ninety seven, right. when of course not. Yeah. Um, they were thinking, and I think they were mostly national brewery, and that was their their approach. Don and Wendy. Uh, were importers selling beer in all 50 states, so they right. understood the national approach. And that was that made a lot of sense in the mid-'90s when they were founded, or you know, mid to late-'90s. And now the market's completely flipped. And so uh, the Cooperstown thing is, uh, you know, if your hometown is a big city, like if you're a harpoon and your hometown is Boston, <laughs> it just gives you a greater toehold to yeah. capture that local audience than if you're in Cooperstown.
0: And by the way, just one quick question, um, because it wasn't really... Uh a presence when when I was there, but do they have a big uh, uh, taste room or restaurant or a presence? Because that's one thing that um, Cooperstown does have in the summer is lots of tourists.
1: Yeah, they do. And uh, when we come back from the the uh, interview with Phil, I'd like to talk to you as an economist about <laughs> some of these things because this, this collective approach I think contrasts the high-end, AB's high-end mm-hmm. very, very much. Uh, and the ways in which you can, you, you can bring people into your brewery, I think is one of those interesting kind of, it's more of an, you know, a business econ thing than it is a, a, a beer thing. Right. And yeah. they do have a lovely, uh, Belgian style cafe and bar there. Um, and they give tours and this new blending uh, program that they're doing where they're bringing in wild ales from these sister breweries. Mm-hmm. That brewery or that that program, which is called the Blendery Program, uh, those bottles will mm-hmm. only be sold at the brewery. So you uh, got to go to the brewery to get them. So I think that's one of their strategies to bring people in there. Right. Yeah. Okay. So anything else you want to do to set up this interview? Uh, I will just say it would have probably been longer, but um, we were on uh the afternoon of the second day of the festival uh uh, phil had been working hard that whole time in fact the staff was really run ragged um and he uh uh, michael kaiser of good hunting was there and had a bunch of um uh programs going on and so phil had been speaking a fair amount already to the to uh the uh the people and also he was doing um uh, kind of like industry interview stuff. Right. So Phil was really tired and I think would, would have spoken to me longer, but he was just exhausted and I, I was like, all right, we'll try to keep this quick and quick and sweet so I don't tire you out anymore. And he was really gracious that he even took the time to do it. So I appreciate that. So yeah. that's the setup. Um, other than that, we should just listen to it. All right, let's get to it. So I am here with Phil Leinhart, uh of Omegong Brewery. And uh, we are at the uh, Belgian Comes to Cooperstown
2: event, which, uh, at, how, how many years has this been going on? Oh, that's a good question. It uh, may have started around 2003, maybe? Okay. Um, of course, I'm not sure when the first year was. And how long have you been at it? Uh, January will be 12 years. Okay, so it started before you got here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well...
1: Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about your background? Mm-hmm. Um, both, uh,
2: you have an interesting accent. I've been meaning to ask where you where you come from. Northern or, New Jersey. Northern yeah. New Jersey. All right. Uh, <laughs> I did not have a dialect, to my knowledge, but maybe I do. Oh, you have an accent. Do I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I totally do. Yeah. The way you say barrel uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: is not the way we say it in Oregon. Okay. Uh, is that is that going?
2: No, it's okay. okay. Uh, so, yeah, tell me about your background, how? Uh, well, I've been in brewing since 19, uh, let me see here, 85, okay. 1985. I just graduated college with a chemistry degree. About halfway through college, I knew I wanted to go into brewing. I have an older brother who's in brewing. Um, my first job was at the Manhattan Brewing Company in uh, Soho Manhattan. Um, it's one of the first brew pubs in the country. That right. was a real interesting place. Uh, we made primarily like English cast condition style ales. Uh, the br- head brewer was a man named uh, Mark Whitty. He worked for uh, Samuel Smith's and then Whitbread's, and he came over uh, as the original head brewer. Um, I was there for a year and a half, two years. I uh, moved up to Boston. Uh, started the Commonwealth Brewery with Richard Wrigley, who was one of the partners of uh, Manhattan Brewing Company. Uh, after a year and a half, I moved over to Harpoon. Um, did not know you were at Harpoon. I was Harpoon in the early days. Uh, then I was at uh, a little bit different, went over to Germany for a little bit. Uh, worked at Honor in Munich, did a little like uh, apprenticeship there. And uh, later went back there and st- uh, studied brewing at the uh, Dermans just outside of Munich. Do uh-huh. you speak German? Uh-huh. Uh, I'm not fluent. I-, I studied a little bit of it, uh, but all th- my courses over there were in English. But, um, and then I worked for the Lion Brewery in Pennsylvania, uh, an old uh, uh, brewery. <coughs> we made a, a number of different things there uh, besides just beer, we made Malta it was actually the ma- majority of what we made. Uh, soft drinks that was a very interesting place <laughs> you know that that area of pennsylvania a lot of coal mining history and so forth I learned a lot there and then i uh, worked for bush for uh, 12 years in newark new jersey okay. brewery and you were doing brewing there or what yeah, all yeah as a brewing supervisor uh, frontline supervisor as in brewing then i spend about a year and a half cross training in uh, quality brewing quality and packaging quality yeah and then uh, how did you get the job at Omegon? Well, I have um, I have a brother who's lived here since 1990, so uh, I've been visiting. In Cooperstown? Uh, yeah, he initially lived in Cooperstown. Now he lives in a neighboring town, Fly Creek, about uh, three miles away. Okay. So I met Don Feinberg and Wendy Littlefield when they were thinking about building the, the brewery and doing that. Uh, you know, they had their importing company then, uh, Van Bergen DeWolf. Uh, so I always had a relationship with the, with the brewery. I, I was here when they were starting the construction. Uh, I met the first brewmaster, Bert DeWitt, uh, then got to know uh, Randy Thiel, the subsequent brewmaster. Uh, I got to know Randy pretty well. Whenever I was up here visiting my brother, I I'd, I'd basically stopped by. I just always... I always liked the beers, I always thought they made excellent beer, and uh, I just liked the vibe of the place. And I thought I'd finished my brewing career at AB, but in uh, 2003, Duval became sole owners of, uh, of Oma gang A lot of people don't realize du- Duval was an original partner in right. Um uh, In two th- 2003, there were two other Belgian breweries they bought out, as well as the, the founders, and became sole owners. And, I loved my time at A.B. I learned, learned a lot there, uh, but my heart was kind of back in the small brewery, um, so this opportunity just came up, you know, so I moved up here, moved my family up here back in 2007. And so you've made a lot of different kinds of beer, Yeah, a lot of different styles of beer. Yeah, uh, and, and, and just, you know, a few different breweries. I've seen a lot, you know, I mean... Um, i think a brewing experience means a lot to see different breweries see different procedures how people do things It can it just adds to your you know your overall perspective and i have a, I have a pretty wide uh perspective on brewing worked in very small breweries to very large breweries and right. i think it gives it gives me at least i think i'm pretty well-rounded in that sense uh, did you have any affinity or interest in belgian beer when you uh you know it's like like you say i worked in different styles like english ales and you know i worked in germany for a period of time and then uh, you know pale american lager and and all that and belgian beer was like the last style i really i didn't know a lot about it but i had started to sample beers uh some of the shoof beers before i really knew what they were and and i and i found them very intriguing i mean some of the uh aromatics from some of these Abbey you know, the, the Trappist beers, the doubles and triples and so forth I just found really delicious and interesting. Um so it was uh I didn't have a lot of exposure to, to Belgian beers when I came to Omega Gang, but you know to a large degree brewing is brewing. You know the fundamentals of, of brewing, the, the chemistry and biochemistry and microbiology and then it's just learning like different uh you know Quirks of each style and technique techniques. Um, so yeah, it's, it's now I, I usually go over to Belgium once once a year, and it's I try to visit a different brewery every time. And it's, it's yeah, it's a real interesting brewing culture. Duval
1: um, also has a, a, a culture that's focused on quality that's akin, yeah. akin to AB. Oh
2: yeah, yeah, a very top notch quality. I
1: was was uh, when you started I. Probably Hedwig Nevin was not, was he the guy then? Yeah, yeah. yep. Okay, Hedwig so. was a t- you know, brewmaster at Duval. So yeah. that must have been yeah. a nice kind of halfway place. Like a you're working with Belgians, but it's not like wild, crazy. Yeah. Sophisticated Belgians. Yeah,
2: no, nah, they're very uh, sophisticated brewery, a lot of very good technology and, and so forth. And Yeah, I mean, frankly, I, I wouldn't have jumped... Left AB to come to Omega unless there was that solid ownership that that meant a lot to me not only not only from a a job security stability standpoint um, but also I know you know the, the dedication to quality and the money to invest in quality equipment and so forth yeah I'm
1: interested um, in your reflections on selling Belgian beer in an American market I know. Uh, Belgium's status has sort of shifted over time. There was a period when uh, it actually looked like Belgian beer might be kind of the future of craft brewing. There was a period when a lot of people were getting interested in it. Um, The sour thing is kind of connected to that barrel age stuff. But um, now we've really shifted into a direction of American brewing hops and and all that stuff. So you've been here 15 years. Uh, 12 years, yeah. yeah, Oh, 12
2: years, sorry. Yeah.
1: What, you mean, say 2003?
2: That's when Duval took over. 400. Oh, full okay. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, can, I came here in 2007. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh,
1: what what has it been like to be, uh, you know, the, so identified? Yeah, I think you're the only brewery in the country that is as closely identified with Belgian beer, you know, that's what you make. So, what what are your thoughts about that period of time? What,
2: what do you mean like so you know, what was it like to sell Belgian beer when you arrived in 2007, and how has it changed? Uh, well, you know. I mean, I, like I said in the panel earlier, the Good Beer Hunting panel, like, when I definitely when Omegang was started in 1997, and somewhat when I came here, we were like one of the few breweries that, you know, were kind of more or less really focused on Belgian styles. You know, Allagash being one for sure, New Belgium. Um, So, like, there weren't, like, every other brewery wasn't necessarily doing Belgian styles, but now it seems like every brewery that opens not only does the hoppy styles and, and, you know, stouts and but also Belgian styles. So, I'd say one of our, you know, Belgian brewing and that kind of vibe will always be central to Omegang and what we do here at Omegang, but we were like, why should we limit ourselves to just Belgian styles? We we're all, all, you know, just about every new brewery that opens up brews, you know, a plethora of styles, including Belgian styles. So why why should we just limit ourselves? You know, we, we maybe we need to become more well, well-rounded too as a brewery and as a business, you know? Yeah, uh, we, we took a tour a few
1: minutes ago, and you mentioned that uh, you, you had... A, installed a piece of equipment that allowed you to dry hop the beers which i thought was one of those watershed (laughs) sounds like one of those watershed moments where it it indicates the change in the industry
2: yeah yep i mean uh, with our nirvana ipa and we do do other you know hop driven beers and uh so as you know our styles that we brew have grown our equipment needs have grown too right now so yeah it's uh so that's the difference, you know. Like I say, even these little small nano breweries or you know just tap room breweries, they offer a range of styles. So we we just felt like, you know, why should we limit ourselves to just Belgian style? You know, we can we certainly have the knowledge and expertise to do other styles. Why don't we start doing that too? You know, right. Uh, one thing that
1: I've I've heard a lot about, but uh, folks on the podcast haven't is. The projects that you're doing with the sister breweries in the Dubla Group, uh, and we tried two blended beers that right. uh, you're releasing this Labor Day, the uh, end, of, end
2: of summer. Uh, talk a little bit about those and how they yeah. were made. And well, we, we currently don't, we can't acidify beers here because we don't have to, we would need to build a separate structure to be able to do sour beers. I, I wouldn't bring bacteria into the main brewery and quite frankly if i did i'd probably be let go (laughs) so it's a good incentive for me um and so we would need to invest a substantial amount of money to do that that is you know to build a separate structure for making sour beers that's just not available right now but we wanted to get in you know we've done a couple beers i've gone over to leafman's a couple times and from that has come rosetta and pale sour but well, we wanted to do something on site here, and so we thought, like, if we can't actually acidify and make sour beers here, why, maybe we can blend different streams from our sister breweries and blend them with our beers here. So that's how we came up with this whole uh, blendery, blendery Omegang idea. Um, and it, it's been great. We've, we've gotten uh, stream, beer streams from Boulevard, from... Uh, works Firestone Walker from Leafman's, uh, and then we blend them on site here and like as you say we're gonna release the first two uh, this September so it's a way we can get into that and make like Omegang blended sour beers and uh, you know we initially we're just gonna offer these beers on site uh, and to get into that space
1: It's also interesting to me, you know, uh, when you entered craft brewing uh, in the 80s, the idea that you're a solo project and you're independent and all that was, you know, the the really big thing. And now we're seeing all these different kinds of business models. The way that Duvel has assembled this group of American and and Belgian breweries is sort of unique in the world. I don't know if there's others um, like that. Yeah. Where... Correct me if I'm wrong, but the idea is that you still operate basically as independent breweries. Is that right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Duval's very good at um, you know purchasing a brewery uh, and investing in them, investing in, in quality you know, capital equipment, maybe investing in branding and stuff like that, but not taking over their identity, le- allowing the brewery to remain who they are and what they want to do. Um, and I think it's a very successful and a smart strategy because it's like you don't, people don't feel like they're getting rationalized in a sense, you know, they can remain their identity. I mean, we're still who we are, Boulevard's still who they are, Firestone Walker, and the, bre- the other breweries in Europe, um, but we're all part of a, a family, a team in a sense.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting on that family point, uh, many of the other breweries that have been the high end AB uh, they try to it seems like there's an effort to conceal the ownership relationships and the, the, you know the, the, uh, you don't know that necessarily Goose Island and and uh, Breckenridge are in the same family but but with the Duvel you're you're going out and actively kind of broadcasting that like the blendery model you put it right on the label and it's right. interesting
2: yeah yeah i mean it's uh, I, I think it's a strength you know i mean all together as a as a team part of a family i think we're stronger than we are individually in a lot of in, in a certain way because we have we can share knowledge we can share share experience you know boulevard has made some beer for us in the past uh so it's just uh yeah like i say I, I don't see any negative from that at all i know you are uh both busy and tired and have talked so much
1: about beer uh, this weekend i'm going to let you go in a second but uh Forecast out five years in, and think about what 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 uh, what projects are you excited about? Do you think uh, Omegon can can do that? Maybe uh, you know, with your base of knowledge and background, uh, that'll be interesting and, and new to people.
2: I mean, yeah. I mean, we have a lot in, in innovation. I'm a little concerned about beer in general. I mean, everything I read now is like beer and overall, not just craft beer per se, but overall, beer is losing share to wine spirits and that that definitely concerns me you know i don't know where that's gonna where that's gonna go but uh i'm very excited with some of our new products we're gonna explore uh you know we just did this beer saison rose we fermented basically saison work with uh, Chardonnay juice aged some of the beer in uh, wine barrels and we're going to explore that further i think with different words different uh grape varietal uh, musts Different barrels. Um, we plan on doing a, a, pil- a pilsner. Yeah, you know I'm very excited about that. I've been hearing that, that uh, people have been describing the process of developing this pilsner as being very slow and painstaking. What's uh, <laughs> what's going on with that? Uh, we've made a couple uh, pilot batches that came out great. We just have to figure out the you know the the branding and the, you know the st- placement and all that kind of stuff. And it it'll take a little bit lo- longer time, and that that that's another good example of being part of a team of breweries. I mean, we're going to have to do VDK analysis for you know diastol, and we don't have a gas chromatograph, but we can ship samples to Boulevard, and, and they can run those samples for us, right? To reinforce, you know, that I'm pretty sensitive to diastol, but I want to have backup of analytical numbers, you know. So. Uh, yeah, so I'm excited about those projects. Yeah, I think that's an interesting one. Right, is it going to be?
1: There is this tradition in Belgium of uh, Belgian pills. Yeah, kind of that's that's
2: that's my idea. You know, uh, you know, some adjuncts you know, like uh, corn flakes, or uh-huh. you know, uh, and we d- the pilot batch we did it was like uh, we got a yeast it was like a Belgian you know lager strings. They are slightly different than like German styles. They, they have, really they are. have they have unique uh, kind of aroma and flavor to them. Yeah. Yeah. So, are you thinking uh, another thing that? Sorry, I said one
1: question. I have one more it's question. Okay. One more it's question. Okay. exploration here is the uh, the New York thing, and uh, you you talked about using uh, New York Malt to New York hops and yeah. Um, if that if that gets going, if there is more availability of those things, uh, you know, in a Pilsner, for example, it might have a big flavor impact. Um, yeah, and I'm wondering. What do you see the potential of this kind of local? Uh,
2: these these local malts and hops are for. Um, I mean, we this th- this year's version of Hop State New York is all uh, just like the other two. We're all all New York grown hops, uh, but we're also using some uh, New York grown barley and and malted barley, uh, New York grown barley that's malted in New York. Um, so it's, it's hard to, you know, I'd say our volumes have gone up each year, so there is some demand for it. Um, hopefully that will continue. Uh, you know, I'd like to incorporate New York ingredients on some percentage in all of our beers at some point, just to, you know, support uh, local farmers and, and the economy. Um, I, I'm not sure where that can go mar- market-wise, you know, yeah. hopefully it, it continues to to grow and As a brewer, have you been interested in the different flavors
1: and qualities that these things are giving you?
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, I think there is some difference. I I think there's some of that is a little overblown to me. Uh, I've read some (laughs) studies where, uh, I mean, I think there is some substance there, but it's not like, you you know, a cascade from Yakima and a cascade from here. It's going to be like a totally different, you know, experience. I mean, some of the trials that I've read, like that, more than like sensory differences there's like difference in like polyphenol content of the hops and so forth right. so yeah that, that that's interesting uh to me um but it's not my prime primary driver you know it's uh, to me it's more about supporting local economy and yeah and so forth well as a
1: drinker i'm actually pretty interested in that stuff yeah. I, I i can tell the difference between uh, those really bright
2: Yeah, yeah. I haven't oh, yeah. See, I haven't had some, so much direct experience with really, like, trying those side by side. You know, maybe if I, if I did, I'd feel a little bit different, you know.
1: They're different. They're D- definitely different. different. They're yeah. notab- notably yeah. different. And yeah. uh, I just got to assume that New York Cascades are going to be different. And also, probably, there's going to be stuff that doesn't grow in the Northwest that will grow here. Some weird, you know, variety that, for whatever yeah, reason. Yeah,
2: here, the main thing is, like, some kind of, uh, you know... Uh, fungal resistance yeah. you know pest totally. r- pest resistance is, is a big factor here especially for the yields you know? yeah yeah i was shocked that
1: you know from being from the northwest i it would never rains and so when yeah. i got here yesterday and it was raining i was like oh that's right it rains su- in su- summer <laughs> elsewhere i've totally forgotten about that <laughs> right. so yeah they'll have to figure that out yeah. well thank you so much i really appreciate okay, your yeah. time
2: yep. and uh Yeah, well, thanks for coming, Jeff, and thanks for the, for the talk. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. It has uh, really been a pleasure
0: to come out. Well, that was really interesting, uh, particularly about the conglomeration of breweries and how they're dealing with each other, but we can talk about that uh, in a moment. Uh, first, my eyes are drawn, and he mentioned this beer in the interview, uh, to the Rosetta, the bottle of Rosetta that you have brought us all the way from Cooperstown,
1: New York, right? Um, uh, that we are now going to taste. Excellent. Yeah, this was one of the ones that impressed me the most. I hadn't. I, I'm fairly familiar with their standard lineup, but um, of course, like all breweries, they have a bunch of other interesting stuff. And that he mentions that rosé uh, Cezanne, which rosé is this big trend in, in right now. And I'm usually trend resistant. Mm-hmm. But I got to say, it was. Extremely good. That was the other one that really impressed me. So uh, I didn't bring that back, but what, I have Rosetta. So what makes it a rosé saison? What's what? Chardonnay grapes I give it a slight uh, rosé hue, but pink, it, it's it's pre- it's not super pink. Right. Um, By it is it is made with wine must, so I guess in that way, it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> kind of like a rosé too.
0: Uh, so this is a beer that is brewed with Leafman's. Um,
1: Actually, it's really
0: Leafman's that does the
1: brewing. Well, no. So this has got a base beer that is made in Omegang, and then Leafman sends over their Cherry Creek, uh, which is blended into the to the base beer. So it's this—it's a blended beer. Oh, I see. Okay, so it's really two beers blended at on site at Omegang. Right. Okay. Here we go. And for the fans of. Uh, weird beer, beer nerdery um leafman's is actually a curious beer because their wort is made uh at the Duval brewery and then shipped back to the leafman's brewery where it's aged uh and done wild the the wild stuff all still happens on the brewery but the actually the wort is made at Duvel. So, <laughs> really yeah that's
0: how far apart are they how much are they shipping uh, this word across? So, well, of course, the economists would ask that question.
1: <laughs> I mean, you can drive, you know, stem to stern. It's true. It's it, culture. It's yeah. really Can't short. So I'm guessing way. it's about a mile, about an hour away, mm-hmm. maybe an hour and a half.
0: So technically, this is probably a wort that starts at Duval.
1: Right. Goes to Leafman. Goes to fermented. It's, uh, yeah. So it'll it'll be aged, fermented with their wild yeast strain, aged on uh, the cherries there. Mm-hmm. Then then this
0: beer is sent over to Mm Omegang in in the United States, makes its cross-Atlantic voyage. Right. Uh, And then it's blended with Omegang beer. Right. Wow. Cool. Cool. Well, uh, (laughs) because...
1: (laughs) because our weather has turned to gray now that now that i read the back it says it's made exclusively there so maybe i'm wrong maybe there's not blending here i don't know well this was my question because
0: i read the label and i was a little confused
1: yeah because they they add leafman's to uh three philosophers too so i just assume they did that but i didn't actually clarify that so i may have just been spreading misinformation um this could be basically leafman's fear I don't know. Well, either way, it says Omegang
0: on the label, so somehow they've figured out that I mean, <laughs> yeah. there is some way in which this become goes from Leafman's and becomes an gang beer. Uh, hopefully, it's not just the label, but maybe. Uh, so the beer has a, a very nice pillowy head, and then um, it's very dark, but has a distinct uh, red hue. Yeah, it um, looks like kind of like a black cherry. I was laughing because we've we're now in the the half light of an Oregon gray day. And yeah. And uh, I can't get this. <laughs> I don't have any sunlight to, 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 shine through, but beautiful. That's how it should it's be. It very cherry on the nose. Mm.
1: It is very cherry on the nose. Yeah. I had this on draft when I was there. Mm. Much the same beer though. Um, sometimes uh, it's really um, nice it has a bottle conditioning it has a very cherry flavor but it's quite dry so Mm -hmm. it finishes nice and and tart it's only 5.6 percent which people familiar with oh my god might be surprised it's kind of a low alcohol Mm -hmm. beer for them yeah uh and i like that i think it makes it sessionable because it's dry the second you finish a sip you think "Mm, i'd like to go out go back in for another one yeah definitely so it's it it achieves that trick for me with fruit
0: beer of having the the flavor and aroma but not not sweet and cloying yeah and really that um, has that Moorish character where it really ends up very dry in your tongue and you just want to douse your tongue again with the next step.
1: yeah you really do it Leafman's is kind of famous for having this sweet and sour palate mm-hmm. and you find that here too there is some some sweetness it's not it's not sweet sweet but um, these two play together. It's not, when you have Brett and Amias season of beer, it's, you can have the intenser fruit aromas, but all the sweetness is gone. It's right. very dry and the, it's more like the essence of fruit, whereas this but actually has some cherry
0: flavor. Yeah, the there's a, the residual sweetness there that probably helps enhance the flavor on your tongue without causing mm. it's when I was recalling,
1: <laughs> You'll appreciate this. Uh, when I got to the brewery, we went into the tap room and we were standing in front of the the uh all the beers and um i was there with the president doug uh campbell and he said well so what are you what are you interested and i looked up there and it was like you know 8.9 percent 10.2 percent 11.1 (laughs) percent and i saw rosetta at 5.6 percent i said let me try that rosetta (laughs) Uh, yeah the old man, move. yes, we have reached that age. <laughs> We've talked about that a lot on the pod, but they are a brewery <laughs> that that makes these big Belgian beers a classic it, kind of classic Belgian beers.
0: It's funny we we haven't we haven't received much feedback. Uh, I'm really curious to know uh, how national this uh, you know what what are the differences across the country in terms of sort of the standard ABV um, uh, content. I think here in the Pacific Northwest, we tend to have cool, damp climate a lot of the time except for our inferno of a summer (laughs) Uh, and so we tend to have these bigger bolder beers um, and only recently are we starting to see smaller more sessionable beers are sort of becoming a little bit more fashionable i suppose Mm -hmm. but i suspect in other parts of the country that's not true or maybe more true in other parts and less true in other parts so i'd be interested to know i also interested to know (laughs) whether this phenomenon there as you age you start looking down the list (laughs) for the lighter (laughs) beers is is common i suspect so but Maybe yeah. we're outliers.
1: Yeah. I was also at a, a brewery, and I knew I was going to be you know, drinking more than one beer that day, so I, I knew I had to pace myself. Um, I do enjoy their big beers. They're well-balanced. Um, yeah, they're, they're really good at that, as so many Belgians are. Um, they use mashing techniques and sugar and other things to lighten the body and make it Moorish, um, even though they're very big beers. Yeah, um, They get <clears throat> a gentle kind of alcohol content so it's not they're not super boozy and hot even though they are pretty boozy Um, but (laughs)
0: yeah and these kinds of big big belgian style beers are tend to be you know uh sipping beers anyway they're (laughs) so complex and has a lot of a lot of dense flavor that uh, you tend to just enjoy a long session with the beer but in very small uh, sips
1: yeah one beer i will point out to you and the The listeners, is there they don't really have a flagship, and this is one another one of their unusual features. They have four beers that each sell around you know 10 or 12 Mm percent and collectively are their best sellers, but only you know the only account for maybe half the volume um, collectively, which is kind of unusual. Most breweries have one beer that will constitute a large proportion of sales. Mm -hmm. Um, One of those is a beer called Abbey Ale, and it's actually a double. And mm-hmm. it's kind of been their flagship. You might say, uh, Hennepin is, or, um, uh, Witta is, it, you know, there's, you can make arguments for other ones, but doubles are generally, uh, not tasty. Mm. In some ways it's the hardest beer in the world to make. I think, um, it's a little bit like a mild, uh, in that all the flavors are subtle. Right. And so... Uh, so often they just become kind of washed out and uninteresting. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was there, I was reminded again, as every time I am, when I have one of those beers, that it is one of the very, very best doubles made in the world. It's just spectacular. It's got all these, it's subtle, but it's got all these flavors and complexity. And as you're drinking it, it's just, uh, uh, you know, it's just an incredibly pleasurable experience, very velvety and creamy and has these kind of, Sweet and cocoa flavors, and a little cola, and maybe a little spice underneath, Hmm. and it's just like, you know, double is not one of those like it's not one of those flavor uh, those uh, styles that people say. You know, my favorite style is a double. No, you, exactly zero people have ever said that. But um, but it is a really good beer. (laughs) That's a good tip.
0: I'll have to look for it. I've not had it. Yeah, we can.
1: I don't really have a sherpa today, so maybe we'll say that could be the sherpa. That sounds
0: appropriate I'm gonna pour a little bit more of this rosetta this rosetta is fantastic by the way I just I don't think I ever actually came around to saying
1: what I thought of it but um, I selected sp- it because I thought it was fantastic they sent me a few bottles home and I mm-hmm. chose this one because I thought also because it's uh, was unknown to me and I assume unknown to others so
0: yeah so this is an example and and I wanted to loop back to this um, of uh, a collaboration between beers in the duval, Fraternity, let's say. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Sorority. Um, they call them sister breweries. There, okay. So, Sorority, yeah. then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's interesting uh, that um, they'll that they're so uh, explicit about that arrangement, as you mentioned in in your interview, and you, and you talked to them about. Because, um, as you also mentioned, uh, like the high end AV um, sort of try very hard to maintain their independent identity and. Uh, suppress this association they have not just with AB, but therefore with all the other high-end breweries. Right. Um, so I think it's it's uh, a neat idea. Um, you see collaborations locally in um, in Portland, and I imagine in other markets in which there are a number of, of local craft brewers, um, which I think is a a neat way to uh, sort of um, get uh, uh, more traction among different. Um, uh, technical issues i thought for a moment there was yeah, yeah. Or, sorry there, I, there was a little <laughs> yeah, i paused there because there was a little click in my um in my headphones and i was to yeah. make sure that we hadn't just crashed <laughs> but i think we're still going so all right if you can hear this we survived uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah i think that um uh uh especially because i don't Duval doesn't have the same sort of negative connotations that an AB InBev does. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's any reason uh, to suppress it in the sense that they're worried about backlash, maybe a little bit. Um, it's true that these breweries are no longer sort of independent as they as they once were. Uh, but sort of playing up that family allegiance and um, uh, playing off it uh, and sort of benefiting from the, the, uh, uh, the market um, share and the brand awareness that the other... Uh, breweries have in different parts of of the U.S. I think it could potentially be a pretty successful um, approach, especially if you're a brewery like gang that doesn't really have
1: a natural local market and really needs to be a, a national brand. Mm. That makes sense. It does. I mean, I can I can imagine that if you were a company uh, who wanted to assemble a bunch of uh, you know buy a bunch of breweries and have them uh, in your portfolio that you would not necessarily want them all to be independent and doing their own thing. You know, it makes a lot of sense in terms of coordination, uh, and efficiencies, uh, and in cer- certainly in terms of sale sales to be able to offer this portfolio that's coordinated at the top end mm-hmm. that the, t- you know, somebody at the, at the top level is saying, we think it would be good if we emphasize this aspect from this brewery and this aspect from this brewery as we're going out with our distributors. This is how the high end does it. Um, so there's definitely some, I can imagine, you could say there's some downsides to doing the, this this collective approach where mm-hmm. Duval does not dictate what they should be brewing at Oma Gang and um, you know, Matt Brindleson and Pastor Robles is doing his own thing and, and uh, they're doing their own thing in, in uh, uh, Kansas City. ABI always says, oh, we hire them to do that and yet it doesn't. There's, there's no evidence that they actually do. You know, they want to plug them into the system that works very well so they can offer more flavors. Um, yeah. So anyway, it's just an interesting, like, there's upside-downside, it looks like, uh, from a business perspective, looking yeah. at it from the outside.
0: And that news item that we had about the canarchy that's you doing mixed packs is also another interesting approach.
1: Yeah, another, they're, they're, on, they're going this, they've decided to go this direction, too, where they associate themselves with each other really specifically. Yeah,
0: it'd be interesting to know how the market reacts to that. Um, you know, right now I think we're in a in a moment of hyper local uh, um, and a lot of local dynamism as well that can support that hyper local uh, um, approach to to craft beer. But um, you know, it's a as I've said many times, it's an industry that has large economies of scale, so it's very hard to to be that small little uh, upstart local brewery that. That just keeps, uh, uh, trundling along.
1: Yeah. I, I, one thing I think too, that's, uh, the Duval group is doing, uh, and this seems, you know, like an intentional thing and smart is they have really positioned themselves as sort of a luxury class of products. If they were a car, you know, car company, these would, these would not be Pontiacs and right. uh, um, they're, they're, they've, they've chosen to have these brands that are sell at a high price point and are considered, um, you know really sophisticated high quality products uh so that may help resist this idea that they're you know faceless kind of
0: corporate thing, Yeah. maybe i don't know yeah and 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 they are as we've talked about fairly distinct Oma gang is not going to be mistaken for firestone walker anytime soon right but firestone walker can help introduce omegang to the west coast audience and vice versa um the east coast for um, I'm again introducing Firestone Walker. So, uh, yeah, the, I can see the potential there. It'll be interesting to see how the market reacts. Right now, I think it's a time of such such dynamism in, in craft beer. It's uh, Everyone, I think, is struggling to understand where we're headed. Uh, and I don't think we really know yet. Um, but uh, uh, I think that, um, and, and I always say as an economist, this doesn't bother me at all, but it's going to be some, some interesting... Uh, rough seas out there, for, you know, with the the tall grass as an example. Yeah. Um. There's there's going to be a lot of uh, winnowing, I suppose. Yeah. Um, that's going to happen. That's going to be uh, very telling um,
1: if there's a if there's a pattern to that. One last thing I'll mention um, on the Phil Leinhardt thing is he, this didn't come up in our interview, but it did when we were talking. Uh, I think on the brewery tour that we did together, from his perspective as a brewer. Uh, having colleagues in uh, Belgium, you know, having being able to talk to Hedwig has always been a big support. And now he can add uh, Matt Brindelson and Stephen Powells and, and these other guys. And yeah. uh, the Blendery project, they get together and they taste the beers and they tie the different lots. And I think as a brewer, that's probably feels comfortable and supportive. Yeah. I, it, For sure. Just separate from the whole business side. Yeah. Cool.
0: All right. Uh, Well, uh, we don't have any uh, mailbag. You (laughs) threw in a Sherpa there.
1: (laughs) I threw in a Sherpa, and we should try to... uh, So we can promise, guarantee, that there will be a podcast two weeks hence. Mm -hmm. um, And we're trying to get back on track. And so uh, I don't blame anyone for for not sending Sending us mail, because who knows when we're going to get to it. So please do send us your uh, mailbag. And we will get back to that. And we're sorry we've been a little bit inconsistent this yeah. summer. We're, we actually do have a few future pods lined up. That's right. Um, we are in uh, contact with uh, the owner of Athletic Brewing in, is it New York State? Uh, Connecticut, I believe. Connecticut. Uh, yeah, that's right. Just down the road from Two Roads, who makes non-alcoholic beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, something we would like to discuss and, and learn about. So we're going to talk to him about that. Yeah, I've been pushing that topic.
0: My, my, uh, my boss keeps keeps uh shutting me down but we finally found the right moment so (laughs) well i just didn't know how to do it right Uh, but now
1: now we know how just got and got an email from this guy hey (laughs) so i guess he did get some kind of mailbag that's true (laughs) so look for that and then we're gonna um in our next pod we're gonna listen to an interview i also did in cooperstown with uh good beer hunting's michael
0: kaiser yeah and we have gotten a few uh comments about technical stuff i've been trying to tweak so let me know if doing better. The number one comment we get is that our audio levels are low and uh, um, I can confirm trying to listen to the podcast in my car has been difficult. I've tried to correct that. Let me know how I'm doing. Uh, and then you can turn around and rate us really highly on iTunes because apparently, apparently that's good and subscribe. That's right. Do both of those things. Uh uh, that is good for us, I suppose. Um, <laughs> if you want to get in touch, if you do want to contribute to our uh, uh, to our sort of paltry mailbag, you can send us um, email at, at jeff at That's jeff at
1: beervanablog one word dot com. Uh, Or you can visit the Beervana Blog Facebook page. That's right, and you're welcome to post stuff there too if you have interesting news uh, from your area or national news. Um, we have a nice discussion going on there, so come okay. on
0: by. And if you're feeling um, sad because, or <laughs> because of lack of pod content, you can always go to Jeff's blog, at Birvana, the Beervana blog, and or you can go to his Twitter
1: feed, at Beervana. And you can follow Patrick at Beeronomics on Twitter. And you posted, and I couldn't understand what it was, so let me just ask you this. Oh. Something about uh brazilian ice beer or brazilian frozen beer frozen beer <laughs> what was that what was happening <laughs>
0: uh i don't know this is brazil and the one thing i can tell you about brazilians um and it won't surprise you uh, if you know a little bit about the climate especially in the in the hotter parts uh they like their beer super duper cold like that's the <laughs> big thing about beer it's cold and they always advertise we have like the coldest beer around <laughs> Well, so this is something called frozen beer. I actually can't tell you anything substantial about it because the article didn't really say much. Um, uh, it's just like an, a, an ultra, an ultra cold version
1: of your draft beer. I see. Well, it seemed like it had a head that was like slushy. It, that head was looked like it had density. It looked like ice cream or something. So yeah. So I'm not sure how
0: it. I'm not sure how they achieve it. But I think they they super cool they super cool the the, the beer until it actually yeah starts uh, uh, icing up a bit and then they serve it that way
1: yeah that's well, the, look cool yeah so next time I go to Brazil I'll try to try and investigate this for you all right <laughs> so you can follow Patrick uh, at Beeronomics on Twitter for interesting for the for the world of uh, weird and interesting um, beers yeah apparently apparently
0: world. as I said in my tweet apparently they haven't heard of glitter beer yet. <laughs> We should get them on that. Yeah, that's so, that's a so frozen beer. So, yesterday. Uh, okay, well, um, we have a glass and we have a bottle, so I'll take up the bottle. And oh, be, there be you crude. Go. Um And I'll say uh, cheers to you, Jeff. All right, cheers, Patrick.